For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, Auburn family? Welcome again to our Auburn football podcast. I am your host, Taylor Davis, joined by my wonderful co-host, former Auburn quarterback, Jason Campbell. We're so excited you have joined us again today. We're excited to talk the wonderful result of this past weekend as the Tigers crushed Mississippi State and we will of course look ahead to the big matchup looming this weekend in the swamp against Florida and stay tuned to the end of the show we've got an awesome guest a former teammate of yours Jason Ben Grubbs will be joining us on the end to talk all things Auburn football it's going to be a great show but uh have to check in with you did we make a bet with the Mississippi State fan brother (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, he kind of ran from this one. He was like, "Oh, we playing in Auburn," and uh, <laughs> he knew yeah, better. We're still trying to figure. Yeah, he knew better. He said, "We're still trying to figure out some things," but he was very, very disappointed in the way their defense showed up because you know he's a I defensive guy. He played linebacker for them, so <laughs> he was just like, hey, we, "We didn't even make it a contest." Oh, I said, yeah. "Yeah, the game was over at the end of the first quarter." <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, when Booby Whitlow ran into their mascot on the sideline, that was a bit of foreshadowing of what was about to come. So, understandable for your brother. But I hope you enjoyed your time down on the plains. I was super jealous to not be there. Oh, yeah. Kudos to the Auburn fans for coming out and uh, showing support. Like I said, yes, it was still a 90-degree day. But by the time the game came around, it was about a nice 75 degrees. And uh, But the atmosphere was electric. Auburn fans, continue to do what you do. You're one of the best atmospheres in all of college football. And uh, you're, you're making a difference whether you know it or not. Skybar will still be there when the game is over. So wait until that clock hits zero, people. That even caught the attention of head coach Gus Malzahn. I saw that he sent an email out to all of the Auburn students thanking them for their energy and their presence at the games and how much it means to the team and the coaching staff. And we've talked about it already. And it's the transformation within Gus Malzahn, not just his play calling, but his enjoyment of being the head coach of the Auburn Tigers. He lost that at some point in his career, at some point along, you know, a a tough few seasons, he lost that love for his job. And you can see he's gotten that back. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Like I said, some head coaches, when they become the head coach, they kind of forget what got them there. And I think he realized that. Like coming to this year, yes, there's a lot of people saying, oh, coach may be on the hot seat, you know, if they don't get it done this year. And I think for him, he probably said, you know what? I've been relying on other people to do jobs that I love to do. Football is all about communication. And you're up front as an offensive line. Everything starts with communication. And then if, if one person misses one block, it can disrupt the whole play. And it's the same way when it comes to coaching. There has to be one voice. It can't be too many irons in the fire. Confidence in Gus is definitely spreading into confidence on the field. And we certainly saw that this past week. The Tigers defeated Mississippi State 56-23. to So let's break that down a little bit. They played Auburn football. That, that's what it comes down to. They played fast. They were in your face. They were fired up. And uh, what impressed me the most 
was that they did not let off the gas. I think there were so many opportunities where this team, specifically Gus Malzahn and his play calling, could have pulled back and gotten conservative. Even two minutes left before halftime, you've got a 26-point lead. You could probably just run the ball, run the clock out. Nope. Malzahn went for the jugular, and we scored right before halftime. I mean, that's the Auburn football you love to see. Yes, that's a sign of maturity as well. You think of this football team, yes, we're young in some areas on, on offense, like when it comes to, you know, Bo Nitz at the quarterback position. Our offensive lines are, are full of seniors. And, you know, you look at our receiving core, so much depth there. But then you look at the heart of our football team, which is the defensive front. When you look at Marlon Davidson and Derrick Brown and, you know, and Big Cat Bryan and uh, Truesdale, you look at these guys and – they bring such a tenacity to the game that mm. they feed off each other and that energy just flows throughout the whole team. And and like I said before, these guys are a group of guys that kind of remind me of similar to some players in our 04 team that flew around, Junior Rose Green and Travis Williams and Jay Ratliff and Brett Eddins and, and you know, Carlos Rogers, all those guys that played on that defense that, defense that year, they all fed off each other's energy. And when you look at that, mm. now it's kind of poured over into our offense. Our offense looks totally different than it did a year ago from just an energy standpoint. Like everyone's more animated. Everyone's excited to make big plays. And and then you, you look at Gus now being back in a comfortable position, doing what he does best is what got him a job in the first place was his calling plays, his, his plays to, to utilize the speed to create problems for defenses where they got to kind of – you know, they can't take their eyes off one thing for one second because they may they may miss something. And you look at that mm-hmm. with, with us adding Swartz back to our offense. Every time this guy goes in motion, you better pay attention. You know, whether he, whether he's getting the ball or not getting the ball. And the fact that he scored two weeks ago in Texas A&M on a long run. You know, so every time he goes in motion, if I'm a defensive lineman or I'm a linebacker, my eyes immediately pays attention to him. And then once you do that, if you're one second too late and then Bo Nitz and Whitlow is running a read off a defensive end or a defensive tackle, if your eyes are fixed on Swartz, now it creates opportunities for those two guys to hit holes and, and to make big runs, which we seen last week. And uh, and then with Swartz, with his speed, it just stretches the, the field so much vertical. And then with Seth Williams being a big target, it's just go up and, and pinpoint the ball at high points. You know, this this team has really got some dynamics about it. And uh and I think a lot of it is kudos to you know Gus being more open-minded this year and, mm-hmm. and kudos to accepting change. A lot of people don't want to accept change in life. But I say sure. sometimes you got to get out of your comfort zone just to figure out who you are. I mean, the changes are evident both on the sideline and on the field. Going back to Bo Nix, you know as well as anyone, as the quarterback, the mental game is such a huge part of it. And I think... People have obviously loved the whole storyline behind Bo Nix, that he grew up an Auburn fan. His dad was an Auburn quarterback, and he would go in the backyard after an Auburn game and play Auburn quarterback. He said he would pretend he was Cam Newton. And while those stories are always warm fuzzies and cute and uh, we love to consume stuff like that, I fully believe an upbringing like that is partially why he is so primed for this opportunity at such a young age. He's been preparing for this his whole life. Right, exactly. He's been preparing for it ever since he came up to me and told me, hey, Mr. Campbell, I remember watching you. I was like, hold on now, Bo. I like, you just called me Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I like, don't make me feel old. I'm still in my 30s. You call me Jason. <laughs> so, uh, but no, just, just seeing, like, just seeing it, like you said, like, He's already one of three quarterbacks that have thrown for over 300 yards and rushed for over like another 50. And uh, that was myself, Cam, and now Bo. 
And uh, so, you know, he's already done some things early in his career, you know, to proving that he's maturing at this level as a quarterback and he's growing and he's doing outstanding things. And uh, the thing for him is just the most important thing he's learned is he's not turning the football over. And a lot of that, and that's a lot of, and a lot of that is coming from film watching and a lot of it is understanding of your teammates to know that, man, I don't have to make every play. I got guys around me that can go up and get the ball. And when you look at a guy like Seth Williams, this is happening week after week after week where he throws the ball up to Seth Williams. He comes, he comes down with some big catches. You know, Stidham did that last year. He threw some balls up to Seth Williams. He come down with him. And now Bo has that same confidence that I can throw it up to these six, five guys. I got Canelo on one side. Even when he's out there, he's throwing it up to him, giving him a chance. And then you look at Eli Stoll and you look at Hastings and then you look at – um Schwartz, you know, guys that are not big guys, but guys that are creating separation in the passing game because of their speed and because of their dynamic as an as a, as a wide receiver. So we're so in debt where people can't just focus on our run game. Even when we go to Florida, yes, they have a good run stopping defense, but even if they try to stop our run, I still feel like we can move the ball because we hit you so many different directions in our run game. And one thing we talked about last week was that the next step in his play was going to be getting that passing game more consistent and effective. And I'm not saying he listened to our podcast or anything, but uh, <laughs> he did it. I mean, 335 passing yards and three touchdowns in this past game. It it seemed he finally found his rhythm in the past game, whether it was deep balls or intermediate routes, even short pass game. I mean, it all seemed to work for him. And he is building that chemistry with his receivers and his targets, which is huge. But you can tell his comfortability is also increasing. Oh, yeah. His comfortability, like I said, like he's not – when he gets outside the pocket, now you see him throwing the ball away. You know, where in mm-hmm. the first the first half of the Oregon game, he was trying to fit that ball in there. And and, I, and now he's learned, like, I don't have to do that. I just throw it away. I can live to see the nest down. Or I can just punt the ball away and play the field position, and we may get the ball back because our defense is so good. They may create a turnover or they may create a short field in order to give, to give us the ball back. So we can go score. I think for Bo, the biggest thing for him is he's the big man on campus. So how does, <laughs> how does he walk around campus as a true freshman? And guess who wants to walk, walk right beside him when, you, when you're the big quarterback on campus? The receivers and the DBs. I thought you were going to say all the girls. <laughs> <laughs> all the girls or receivers, you know, whichever. <laughs> the receivers and the DBs are trying to get the girls that are coming out the boat because Bo is kind of like focused right now. So, <laughs> so you know, guys are saying now, hey, Bo, where are we, where, where are we, where are we out? hanging out, man? Yeah. <laughs> at, 12, at 12 o'clock, where are we sitting at? Where are we sitting at on campus? Oh, yeah, they in the student center. And, and yeah, hey, why not? You know, enjoy the moment. Like I tell people, enjoy it while you can. He does wear a bracelet that says humble over hype, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was explaining that it's it's a reminder for him that in the midst of all of this, there is going to be a lot of hype around you. And it's just the nature of the sport that outside attention is going to come with this. But the second you lose your humility, you could lose your success along with it. Even when you hit a rock or a bump in the road, because we all know that they, they are going to come, you know, whether it's in oh, life yeah. or whether it's in sports. So whatever you do, you're going to hit bumps in the road. I think he's built for that, though. I think once he does hit a bump in the road, he'll just respond in a positive direction. Coach Gibbs used to say this in the pros to us, the hammer or the nail. And he'll say that before every game. You get to choose. So you can either get nailed into or you can do the nailing. 
And I think Auburn right mm-hmm. now is doing the nailing. I like that. Well, I mean, when you look at this game, obviously what, what catches the eye, even when you look at the score, what catches the eye is, is the offensive development, especially given what Auburn fans have been wanting to see out of a Gus Malzahn offense. It seems they're back to that identity. But the defense did their job as well, and they deserve the credit. I, I mean, obviously Mississippi State is not at a point in their program that you you would want them to be. That was a really nice way of me saying that. They did not look very good. But at the end of the day, it's an SEC West matchup, so you know that that comes with its challenges. The defense had to be prepared for, and they did face two different quarterbacks in the game. And tailback Kylan Hill, I think, is someone that's not necessarily getting the attention because of the season that Mississippi State is having. But he entered the game leading the SEC in rushing and was held to 45 yards on 17 carries. So this defense is clicking on all cylinders. And obviously you credit the returners, the big guys up front. But the development of this defense across the board, even into the secondary is something that gives a ton of comfort when you look at the gauntlet that still lays ahead in the schedule. Right. When you look at our when you look at our defense, you look at uh let's talk about the back end. Jeremiah Denson. You know, he's he's been all over the field this year. Every time I turn around, the kid's got all kind of tackles and everything. He's making plays all over the field and his name is is getting recognized. And like I say, you look at our linebackers, you know, Britt. Britt is a grinder. He's all over the field making plays. He's hitting people. He's getting people lined up. And then that's why that's how come Papo is able to play such a such a high level beside him because even though he's a young quarterback, I mean a young uh, a young linebacker, he can still go out and make plays because his speed. Like coming out of high school watching this guy on film, I was like, man, his speed is dynamic. And everybody's like, yeah, he need to put on about twenty pounds. I say, oh, don't worry, he's gonna put on twenty pounds, but. You know, he, he's making plays. And like I said, the reason our offense has been successful over the last two weeks is because the field position that our defense and our special teams have given them. Football always starts this way. The defense always starts off faster than the offense. And the reason is because offense has so many so many more volume of plays. And the defense, you know, they, they do what they do. They have a bread and butter five plays that they may call each and every game. And it's a lineup. If you can beat us – with what we got, then kudos to you. If you can't, then then you're in for a long day. And offensively, you, you, it's all about time, and it's all about five guys working together up front to create opportunities in the passing game, to create holes for the run game. So there's got to be so much more chemistry that has to come in play. And the fact that you don't play preseason games like in the NFL, it takes you a two to three games to get going. And yeah. I think with us now getting to the Florida game, Florida is, like I said, they're really good defense. This is probably the best defense we've faced up to this point of the season. Oregon was pretty good, but not like the Florida defense. So I think this is a good challenge for us. I do feel like we'll still win the game, but I think it's a, it's a good challenge to help prepare us as the season continue to move forward. As we look ahead to this Florida matchup, you, you're already saying you're picking us to win it, so I, I like that. But let's kind of go over a bit of a scouting report. We'll start with what the defense is going to be facing. Florida is playing their backup quarterback in Kyle Trask after Felipe Franks was injured during the Kentucky game. So 
Kyle Trask is a, a different guy than Franks. Felipe Franks is is more of a dual threat. You know that he can he has the opportunity to beat you with his legs. He's good at scrambling. Kyle Trask is more of a pocket passer. Uh, he's played in four games, two of which he started, and he's completed fifty one of sixty six passes for six hundred forty seven yards, five touchdowns, and he's thrown two interceptions. Uh, in four games, and, and all of those numbers, it comes out to a 77.3 completion percentage, which is the fourth best in the country and second best in the SEC. So not a guy to take lightly, even though he hasn't had a ton of playing experience. And sometimes that's more scarier than the one that has a ton of experience because you have more film on him. So when you definitely look at this football team in Florida, uh, like I said, Kyle Trask, you know, like I said, his 77% completion percentage right now, his five touchdowns to two interceptions, you know, that's a good ratio, you know, for a guy that's coming in and filling in. And not only that, if you if you notice on some of the reports that's coming out of Florida is they know they're not a good running football team. You know, their they're leading rusher has 197 yards and three touchdowns. We're talking about we're five games into the season. And so yeah. that means they're kind of relying and hoping on this other kid arm to, to, to move, their, move their offense. And if you listen to what their receivers have been saying – you know, Davidson has has told received has told the, the media this week that you know they actually are more happier because he's the guy that will sit in the pocket and go through his progressions and deliver the ball. And if you're a yeah. receiver, what do you want the most? The ball. <laughs> you know, I'll receive all you want the ball. So you know, and and so these guys are going out there now where they're believing they're going to get the ball. So now they're running routes a little bit harder. They're running them a little bit faster. They're trying to create separation because now they know they got a guy back there that's going to pull the trigger and not and not be gun shy. And so for us as Auburn, the only thing that's kind of hurt our defense up to this point is the intermediate passing game. You know, we've done really mm-hmm. well. On, we've done really well on stopping the deep ball and the short passing game and, and, and getting sacks. And like I said, uh, he's been sacked five times since he's been starting. So, you know, Derrick Brown has been outstanding over the last couple of weeks. So he got defensive player of the week one week against Texas A&M. And, you know, last week he, he didn't shy away from it. You know, he, he yeah. kept, kept coming. So, you know, I, I know our defense are looking for holes and, and ways to get to them. And and me, probably if I'm Florida, there's no way in the world I'm going to single up my offensive lineman on Derrick Brown or Marlon Davidson in the passing Heck game. no. So I'm probably going to keep my backs in to protect, help protect. I'm probably going to bring a tight end in and help protect. And just I'm bringing to, the whole team. I'm bringing the water boy. I'm bringing the assistant. Co- who else? Exactly. So because they want to do everything they can to try to create. And we do play man coverage sometimes, but a lot of times we zone it up. And it'd be interesting to see what kind of plan Coach Steele comes up with this week. Because the only thing that's hurt us has been the intermediate passing game, those dig routes mm-hmm. and those cross, those crossing routes and everything. And uh so if we can if we can get continue to grow into that area, we'll make it really especially hard for, for offenses to convert third downs or offenses to stay on the field because, you know, last week against Mississippi State, actually the kid that came in the game that didn't start Schrader or that came into the game, he actually created more problems for us than the guy that yeah, actually started the game last week. So, you know, you never know how those things would have transpired had the other guy been playing. So you're going into an area where it's going to be loud. Offensively, our communication has to be the best. Like uh, when it comes to hand signals or when it comes to communication, then mm. we can't have those false start penalties. Our offense works better when we are on schedule. We can't start off first and 15, second and 
20, you know, because we haven't false start penalties or we haven't holding calls because we can't hear each other. So we're not knowing who's supposed to be where. So it's, it's very important that during this week of practice that everyone trusts each other and everyone know exactly where they're supposed to be. And you lean on trust in games like this. And then for us defensively is let's give our offense short fields so that we can get on the board and get ahead of them so that we can take the crowd. I always say when you go on the road, what's the first thing you want to do? Take their crowd out the game. And how you do that, you get, you get ahead of them. And you get ahead of them by scoring points and get on the board before the other team does. And that's that's what happened to us back then when we was playing. That was our motto. Backs of, our backs against the wall against everybody else, we lock together, but we take their we take their fans out the game. And that's how we win the game. When you think about a, a loud atmosphere and the crowd environment, especially at a place like the Swamp, you know it's going to have an impact on the offense. You're looking at a true freshman quarterback and everything that's going to come along with the pressures of that game. But you also feel a little bit confident because look at the game that he started his college career with. He was in an NFL right. stadium playing a Pac-12 team. So you want to talk about noise, he's faced it. And the 12th right. man at Texas A&M, it was there too. So – Uh, You know, the offense will have to settle down. I think it might be more challenging to get off to the fast start that we saw against Mississippi State, but they will adjust. And and for the defense, you're absolutely right. It comes down to disciplined football, which you know a guy like Kevin Steele is absolutely demanding. But uh, you said that what a receiver wants most is the ball. What those guys on the D-line want the most is a sack. Well, probably a sack fumble, but you know what I mean. And uh (laughs) So for these guys, the pass rush, you know, is going to be their emphasis. I mean, you've got a pass-heavy quarterback. And really, that isn't what our defense has faced, except in the Oregon game with Justin Herbert. You knew you were going to have a pass-heavy guy with him. But since then, they've really had to focus on shutting down scrambling lanes and containing quarterbacks that like to run the ball. And now you you kind of get to focus in a little bit and, and know a little bit more about the guy back there, knowing that he likes to sit in the pocket and throw, and he prefers to stay back there. So you got to kind of expect that this line is is going to get after him. Oh, yeah. I expect our line to get after him because what you look at as a defensive line, as a guy that's not a, a big scrambler is, where, the, where is his set points? You know, he's a guy that's set at nine yards. He's got to set at nine and a half yards. So he's at eight yards. When he move up into the pocket, where is he most comfortable moving up to the pocket to make his throws? So if you, so you start to key on his set points and start to disrupt his set points and make him have to do – do what he's uncomfortable with and that's having to get outside the pocket and having to make throws on a run and and everything and I so I feel like with our front that we can create those 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 uncomfortable situations for him I just look at us just continuing to to do what we do not try to do too much yes Florida's a different team but I still think we're stronger and we're bigger and I still think that we're a little bit more ahead of them right now offensively than where they're at offensively because we can run the football a lot better than they can run the football so anytime you can do that that's 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 a recipe for the success but at the same time you know you're gonna get their best because it is a top 10 matchup and for us it's a bigger game not it's a bigger game for us because we're in the sec west sec Mm -hmm. west is night and light above the sec east in the east you only have georgia and florida so if florida loses this game they still know they can still have hope to get to where they want to go to because the only team they got to get to now is just beat georgia where we still got to go through lsu georgia alabama you know even arkansas and Ole miss so we still have more of a challenge in front of us 
than they have. So it's a bigger game for Auburn than it is for Florida. So we just got to go down there and just do what we do, have the business, don't look ahead of the schedule, but just look at this team and just say, hey, how do we beat them Saturday in their place and how we do it together? I also think there's there's a benefit in our offense because I think Gus has done a really great job adding dimensions to this offense. We have seen a variety of different options, different. I mean, his play calling has evolved. He's drawn up more this year. He's got a ton of weapons to utilize. Like we've talked about a guy like Anthony Schwartz. I mean, you could put him in, could he play quarterback too? I I don't, the guy just, you can put him anywhere and he's going to make something happen for you. So I think, Auburn comes in with an ability to maybe adjust and and have some stuff in their pockets. Whereas I don't know if Florida has that versatility, especially playing with their backup quarterback. Now they do have some stacked receivers. I think the perimeter could probably be the biggest issue. Uh, They have six receivers averaging more than 30 yards a game. So you know that Kevin Steele is going to be anticipating that, but I just think when you look at what both teams have to offer, even with the added element of playing in the swamp, I think this is going to be one that Auburn brings home. And I think it's going to be something that we look back on as this was a pivotal moment that really helped define the rest of the season. Yeah, Taylor, it's like you said, when you look at this, uh, look at this game, the versatility of Auburn's offense is the difference. I, I definitely agree with that. It's, it's the difference when you look at Florida's offense. We have more, way more, way more versatile players because we have a Swartz on our team. I don't see a Swartz on our offense. And not only that, we have some big receivers. Yes, they have some big receivers as well. But we also have a Hastings, you know, who creates mm-hmm. matchups on the inside. And everyone looks at him like, oh, he's a little – no, Hastings is a big-time player in a little he's man's He's elusive. <laughs> right, he's elusive. He can make plays, and he's tough as nails. And uh, so I like that aspect of it. And then I like the aspect of us having a senior offensive line. Yes, they haven't played in Florida yet, but it's no different than them playing in LSU or playing in Alabama or playing in Georgia in big games, you know. So that's where it all starts for me on the offense. I feel like if those guys can not have those false starts with the crowd noise, I think it gives us the opportunity to to go and, and, and have success. I feel like the Auburn team, in a way, sometimes – they play up to the big games. And I just want, um, you know, Lee Corso and Kirby Hershkreet to pick against us again because every time they pick against us on these, on these platforms, we do pretty well. Super excited for this matchup. We know that uh, there's still a long season ahead. So even if this one is dropped, there there's a long season and still a lot could be made. But a win would certainly uh, – be a step in the direction that I know all Auburn fans are are hoping to see this team head toward. Now, all our listeners get to hear Jason and I go on and on enough, so we thought we would bring in some more Auburn insight for you this week. We are so excited to be welcoming former offensive guard for your Auburn Tigers, a solid NFL career, first-round draft pick in 2007 by the Baltimore Ravens, played for the Saints, played for the Chiefs, two-time Pro Bowler. I, I really could keep going, but I'll stop it there. Ben Grubbs, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, you two were former teammates, so I, I feel a little left out, but I'll try and interject yeah. myself here. Uh, ben, let's just go ahead and start with the obvious. When you look back, at your time at Auburn, what are some of your favorite memories there? Um, immediately, I'm, I'm thinking about the uh, undefeated season. And, of um, course. Yeah, that was a very special year. And, you know, obviously, Jason was one of our leaders. 
along with many more, um, Carnell Williams, Ronnie Brown, um, you know, Carlos Rogers. That was a year, that was my first year starting at offensive guard. Um, and it was, it was sweet because my first year I was red shirted. And obviously as, as a, a recruit coming out of, um, high school, I was, um, expect, I was expecting myself to, to start, but it was a rude awakening when I got there. Um, things were a little tougher than expected. And I had to set out a year and I went, you know, went through, a, multiple positions and I found myself at offensive guard and my first year starting, we went undefeated. And, um, wow. you know, that was a special year and I, I'm, I'm biased, but I think that was one of the, you know, obviously one of the best, best teams we had there at Auburn, even though we didn't win the title. Ben, did you come to Auburn as a tight end recruit? No, man, I was a, a line while well, play linebacker slash fullback in high school. I was recruited as a DN. Coach Witt recruited me as a DN. Uh, yeah, it was. You know, that's that's when I think about you know playing linebacker and fullback at 248 pounds. You know, to end up at offensive guard, uh, that is not your that is not the natural progression for an athlete and and going through college. But you know, some of your best offensive linemen were once D linemen. Um, there there hmm. were a few that come out of college to switch over to uh, the offensive side of the ball in the NFL. So, you know, it wasn't what I was expecting, but it was definitely a blessing in disguise. I want to go back to something that you said about your adjustment to college and how, you know, you had expectations of starting. And, and I think that's so relatable for so many guys coming out of high school, right? You're, you're a big fish in a small pond, and then it completely switches when, when you're at an SEC school and you have to allow yourself that adjustment period. But that year for you, your red shirt year, it it can be the most beneficial for your career to kind of step your game up, step your conditioning up. How did that actually end up being, you know, a blessing in disguise for you? You know, that that trial, that that time period of my freshman year and a little bit of my, my um, sophomore year what is something that I, I'm able to talk about now because it made me stronger. You know, obviously adversity builds character. And during that time, as I was sitting out, you know, um, red shirt freshman workouts, I mean, red shirt workouts, um, just seeing the, seeing my, my, my teammates, you know, gear up and get ready to play while I'm, you know, still, while I'm going to go work out with Coach Yox at that time, um, not being able to travel and see them play and having to watch it on, on TV. All of that was very, very hard, especially, you know, I was pretty good coming out of high school, mm -hmm. four-star recruit and it was um it was it was it was hard to it was hard to be patient and, and wait my turn um but it definitely it definitely gave me that opportunity to learn who I was as a player um you know I just wasn't ready and I had to be honest with myself and and I had to you know walk in humility while I wait my turn and during that time you know I promised myself you know I was I was uh, I was not going to be overlooked again, not necessarily <laughs> overlooked, but I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to miss out on all the action. Sure. And, you know, I took that year to get stronger, uh, only to find out that that next year, as I was um, as I was practicing as a defensive lineman, I still didn't get that. I still wasn't getting that opportunity. You know, I still wasn't moving up on the depth chart and it was still frustrating. And I remember 
you know, calling home to my mom after spring practice, uh, after getting after getting cursed out and not not really doing what I thought I was going to do. I was like, Mom, you know, this is just not working out. And, you know, I'm just I, I want to come home. And I just started crying uncontrollably. I couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't stop crying. And I, I was like, Mom, I'm crying, but I don't know. What, I, don't, I was not trying to. And it was just so much emotion built up in me because football was so important to me. It was a huge part of my life. And to only end up at a college to not play was very disheartening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my mom on the phone call, she was like, you know, <laughs> she said, baby, do you want me to come talk to the coaches? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, no, please don't. That uh, is a Southern <laughs> mother right there. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, you know, that was – that, that's that's something that I tell you know I tell my kids every time they go through a, a tough time. That story um, obviously had a good ending to it. Yeah. Because the the I want to say a couple of weeks later, Coach Witt called me into his office and and he he was like, "Hey, it's not working out on the defensive side of the ball. We need some help at tight end, and you know we think we can use you know your athletic ability over there." So I switched, and you know I started blocking as a tight end you know obviously it takes hard work and you know I'm just glad that I was uh, able to be a part of something bigger than myself during that time adversity builds character man you said it yourself that is uh that is awesome and it's the rest is history to see how it worked out for you is pretty cool well Jason you had this guy blocking for you so uh give us your perspective what was he like as a teammate Yeah, Taylor, you're right. Uh, I knew it was something about tight end in there somewhere. I said, I remember somewhere along the line being playing tight end. So that's how it all got started. Ben gave you an in-app answer about it. So I remember trying to throw him a pass and a flat route. And I think it might have hit his hand like uh, like a ball falling off a brick of wall. <laughs> so, but, uh, but the fact that he could block so well, we ended up moving him inside there the guard. So, 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 hey, Ben, think about it. Offensive linemen made way more money in pros than tight ends. So there you go. it works yeah, out yeah. great for you. Yeah, things are balancing themselves out now with <laughs> the offensive linemen. Yeah, exactly. So, but no, Ben was awesome. You know, I had a great group in front of me, you know, with Ben and McNeil and Danny Lindsay and uh, Grubbs and Troy Reddick, Troy Reddick and yeah. Engle. So, you know, all those guys took care of me as offensive linemen, took care of Ronnie and Carnell in the backfield and gave our receivers the opportunity to get open down the field. So, Without them, you know, I wouldn't reach the accolades that I was able to reach. And uh, none of us offensively that play the skill position. So everything starts from the inside out. Yep. And, you know, I thank Ben for that. And, you know, just just from having guys like his mindset, you know, how positive he is. And then, you know, like you said, you know, everyone meets adversity in life. Mm-hmm. And it's always about, I always tell people, it's how you respond to adversity which is going to get you to the next step because everyone goes through different seasons in their life. And some seasons are to mold you and mature you and allow you to see things from a different angle so that you can grow, but you got to allow yourself to go through it in order to, to, to learn the lesson. Otherwise, if you try to go around it, it's just going to resurface again mm. until you learn that lesson. Man, that's, that's good stuff. Sounds like you two have been molded by the sport of football. If I've ever heard it. Uh, <laughs> and that, and that. Yeah. I mean, Ben, you've blocked for future NFL guys, uh, Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown, Kenny Irons, our very own Jason Campbell. So uh, it might've taken you a minute to get there, but you certainly found that sweet spot. So uh, you, you both have a ton to be proud of looking backwards. I want to get both of your perspective on that 2004 season. 
obviously one of you know, one of the teams that Auburn football looks back on, right? It's it's an example. It's something uh, you hope to attain. So I want to get both of your perspective on what made that team so effective. And also, are you seeing any of those attributes in this year's team? I think 2014, we called ourselves the hard-fighting soldiers. And uh, that all started from uh, Brother Chet Williams and, and Coach Tuberville. And it all started like in a small room. Um, we used to have like an FCA on Wednesday nights and everyone used to come and, you know, we all decided what can we do to, to unite our team and, and make us have that, that brotherhood. And it all started with us locking arms. And when we locked arms, that meant togetherness. And, you know, one brother supports another brother. So if we were all locked up, that means no one can come in between any of us. And we, we took that throughout the team and guys would tell stories on Friday nights where we was all in a room and had nothing to do with football. It's just a, a bunch of guys just being together, just talking about what's going on in their lives. And, and the next person next to that person would pray for that one. And it would just go down the line. And once we did that, once I knew what my, my friend that was playing beside me on Saturdays was playing for, it made me want to play even harder. Even to this day, we still talk to a lot of those guys. We still get together. We see each other at games and everything. And it's just that instant bond, that instant connection. I would definitely agree with Jason. You know, that that tight, close-knit uh, bond that we established that year um, was, was something special. Um, and it's something that I, that I reference whenever I think of a team. Um, you know, Brother Chet was a huge part of that. And uh, especially, the you know, the, the leaders that we had in that room. Um, you know, you don't, you don't, I haven't, um, you know, been in too many locker rooms where you have that many guys, um, you know, that put themselves aside and put the team's goals ahead of them. Um, mm -hmm. And these were, you know, we had what, four first rounders that year. So when you think about guys doing that, you usually don't think about, you know, the, the superstars on the team. Um, but, you know, we had the superstars, we had humble superstars and they, led the way. I would also say that, um, you know, that's just a, it's a great example of um, when, when, when preparation meets opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we knew that we had a talented group of guys, um, you know, with skill and ability, um, but without the hard work, you know, that's just, uh, just wasting talent. You know, that, that talent's not going to get you to, um, to the big stage. So we knew that we had to work hard and the coaches, you know, put a great plan together during the off season. Coach Yox, um, you know, he was he was the man that we saw uh, more than we saw our coaches during that time. And I'm speaking of the off season, and that's when we put our work in, and we we worked really really hard. And there were times where you know our leaders led by example, and then there was times where they had to you know uh, uh, actually you know bring us. I remember a couple of times Jason, you know, calling us up. And, um, you know, being vocal, being a vocal leader um, and he, you know, having that, being a young guy, not really knowing what that looked like initially. Um, I didn't, I was pretty successful in college and in and, and the NFL, but in high school, um, for as a team, for as a team success, we didn't win a lot of games in high school, won three mm -hmm. games each year. So it was just, a, it was a blessing. I made it out of there, but, <laughs> but uh, to not know what success looked look like um, yeah. as far as um, team wide, um, I had a great example to, to look, to look at, to look towards and to, to, I didn't really know how to be a leader on, on that level. And so when you put guys like that in front of 
younger guys such as myself, you know, we, they demanded our attention and um, they, it wasn't just talk. They actually led by example. And that was one of the main reasons why we were able to, you know, go 13 and 0 that year. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting because I see this all the time. When I cover college football, that is one of the most obvious differences program to program. A team's chemistry and camaraderie, especially in the SEC, it translates directly to your productivity on the field. It just does. And honestly, it doesn't stop with the players. It, it goes all the way to the AD, the coaching staff. I, I mean, it just, it sparks something when you take the field come game time. And as an Auburn fan, it is hard not to look at this year's team and, and the, the way the program is being run right now and not think that they have all the pieces. Yeah, so when you look at this team, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Taylor, because back in 04, our coaches sat in those rooms with us on Fridays. Hmm. And and they didn't say not one word about, guys, you got to do this on the football field tomorrow or anything. It was about telling their life story and about what they had going on in the, inside their homes, whether when it came to Coach Eddie Grant, I remember, you know, his daughter being sick hmm. and him being teary-eyed and crying and everything, like, right in front of us. And it gave us a reason to want to fight harder for him and want to play harder for him as well, because even the coaches was going through something. And when you when, when you see like the guys that's that's ahead of you, you know, going through something, it it makes you want to do even more for them. And I feel like that was a big part of it. And as you were saying, you look at this year's Auburn team. When I saw uh, Coach Malzahn this summer and spring, the one thing he talked about was, I need to become more open. I need to become more you know, let my inner passion show more, mm. you know, I'm not giving everyone really who I am. And, and when he said that, you know, I could see he meant it. And I think that's, that's helping them. And you can see the closeness of this group. I really do like this group. And yes, do we have a gauntlet of a schedule coming up? Yes, we do. But you can get through it with a bunch of guys that's willing to, to, to play together and put their, uh, their egos to the side. And I see that exactly. That's what this team is doing. I would have to agree. Just looking at it from the comfort of my living room and, and seeing <laughs> and, and seeing just how well these boys have performed. I mean, that first game, there was, a, I, would, I would say, a, a lot of doubt. I mean, coming off of last year, um, you know, not, not, not fully living up to the potential that I think they could have, uh, uh, could have lived up to last year and, and coming into um, uh, playing down in Texas playing a, a team such as Oregon and, and finding a way to win at the end, you know, that right there kind of opened my eyes to, to what they really were. Um, I don't personally know any of the guys, but I, I saw that, you know, a lot of, I saw the defense continue to play hard nose football that first game. And although the offense, you know, had, had, you know, a tougher time than they expected at the end, they found a way to put a drive together and win that game. And, you know, you, you just think of that, the, the, the character that you have to have to, in order to not give up, not to, not to let doubt creep in, to know who you are and what you are there for, um, to know all those things about yourself and come out with the win speaks volumes of, you know, the, that, that whole organization from top down. And then to not say, you know, to continue to prove people wrong, to say, hey, this wasn't a fluke, but I'm going to continue to put – put together, you know, these W's is, is 
I mean, just unbelievable. And I'm, I'm definitely proud of the boys. I know I see this year, just being an offensive lineman, you know, obviously I look more at the, um, the offensive line during the games. And this year I just see a whole nother mindset. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I see guys pancaking, defenders, playing through the whistle, um, you know, hustling downfield and helping your running back. You know, I, I believe those things that um, obviously the pancakes are something that um, that offensive linemen um, are congratulated for. But you don't you very rarely, see, you know, get congratulated for, you know, hustling downfield. You know, the fans are not really paying attention to all that. But that's something that you do because you know who you're playing for. You know the goal that you're out there. You know the goal that you have set that that season. And you never know when that ball comes loose. You you, you know you're downfield because you hustled and you pick the ball up, and you set you you uh, prevent a turnover. Just those small things, those details, knowing that the game is uh, is is won and lost just by a matter of inches. I see all of that in the offensive line. All the things that nobody really cares about, I'm looking at, and they have done a good job. <laughs> Hey, man, that's how games are won. So uh, they are the unsung heroes, but a game won't be won without them. Ben Grubbs, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks for having me. Grubbs, you still look 240 now, so... I'm These two. Oh Lord. All right, everybody. Well, thanks again for listening to us. As always, join us every week as we break down Auburn football, the previous week's game. We look ahead to the next week. We have awesome guests like Ben Grubbs talking all things Auburn football. So for Jason Campbell, I'm Taylor Davis, War Eagle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.